and welcome to Marginally Geek. I'm Lauren Yarbrough. And I'm Luke Bath. Marginally Geek is a podcast dedicated to showcasing the diversity that's always been the cornerstone of the geek community by focusing on individual experiences. Each month, we'll be interviewing someone new about their life as a geek, their thoughts about fandom, basically whatever makes them tick. And since we're a podcast for and about people who live at the intersection of marginalized identity and fandom, uh, we'll be prioritizing the voices of women, people of color, people on the LGBTQIAA spectrum, people with disabilities, the neurodivergent community, and our elders. This week, I'm talking to Violet Vernig, webcomics extraordinaire and all-around badass, uh, and then afterwards, Lauren will be debuting a new section called Fan Works Appreciation. Sorry with this episode so late, folks. Usually this is the first Friday of the month, but the holidays hit us. And with the holidays, all of the very, very many movies that came out, um, we saw pretty much all of them that we wanted to see, I think. I mean, hang on, what did we see? We saw Rogue One, yep. obviously. Uh, we saw Fantastic Beasts. Uh, we saw Sing. We saw uh, Moana, yeah. We saw oh, Moana. So Did Moana come out that recently? Yeah, Moana came out really recently. I just feel like Moana's been here all my life. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I think there's. Oh, and we were gonna see La La Land, but uh, heard increasingly bad rumors about it, uh, and just decided not to. I think is is the. Yeah, we didn't see that, but we saw most everything else. I haven't seen Fences yet. I'm going to go watch Denzel and Viola Denzel at each other, and it's going to be great, and I'm going to love it and probably cry. But uh, yeah, what are we talking about today? Um, I think we were going to talk about Fantastic Beasts, because we're both old school Potterheads. I mean, I enjoy the Harry Potter books in a way that's mostly yelling about what an idiot Harry Potter is. <laughs> so I don't know if that's typical, if that's everyone's experience. But yeah, no, Fantastic Beasts was a lot of fun. Had some issues, as usual. But uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed looking at Eddie Raidman's face. <laughs> it was a good time. Costumes were really pretty. What did you think? I mean, I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought I thought it had problems. Um... I've got some questions about where they're going with Grindelwald. <laughs> oh, but that's do just we need because... to spoiler alert this? Is this, is yeah, this recent well, spoilers, enough for spoilers? You know. um, um, yeah. No, Grindelwald, a.k.a. <laughs> Captain Jack Sparrow. I just, I just have like an instinctive negative reaction to Johnny Depp when he oh, comes on film now, which is really so, sad. But he's so weird. He's so weird. You have to love him. He's so weird. I mean, I used to love him. I did love I, He was one of my favorite actors for so long. And then... Mm, that he, happens. And then he just got Tim Burtoned to death. I mean, it happens. It happens to the best of us. Has it any, happens specifically to Johnny Depp. Has anyone checked on... What's her name? Oh my god, Helena? Is she okay? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean... Gosh, what were well? First of all, let's just get this out of the way. Apparently, the movie takes place mostly in Harlem, which you wouldn't know because everyone is white. The only reason I know that is because Facebook, Tumblr, 
internets told me that. Yeah, but whatever. Um, yeah, there are yeah, one to two people of color because, you know, I'll give them all a distant wizards three. are white. A very distant three. Um, but it's fine. It's it was, it was super annoying because we saw it right after we saw it Sing. And after a movie about animated animals did such a great job of being like, there are many different kinds of people. It was just really frustrating. Um, but that's Potterverse. <clears throat> no, Sing was great, incidentally. Sing was great. You should watch it. You should take your family to it. You I'm should gonna, cry. I'm going to own that movie for myself. And it's going to be great. Sing, as advertising itself, as being about like a singing competition, like an American Idol for animated like animals and super cute. And it is. It's all those things. But it's also about... Being a struggling theater administrator, trying really hard to keep your place open, and I had some feelings. It's, it's, I've, I've never been a struggling theater administrator trying really hard to keep my theater open, so I don't know what that's like, but I had feelings. <laughs> uh, it's fine. We're all a small koala with a bow tie sometimes. But yeah, you should see it. It's a great time. I'm going to say it was better than Fantastic Beasts. I'm going to say it. I'm going to put it out there. Yep. Although I really did like your point about Newt being on the autistic spectrum. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I would be really interested in the directorial choices that were made there. I mean, I'm always more interested in what happened in rehearsal than in the product. <laughs> Whatever. Um, But... The some of the mannerisms Eddie was giving us, I'm like, oh well. I mean, there are a variety of reasons to be more comfortable speaking and making eye contact around animals than human beings, but it seemed like the choice they were making was like, yeah, we have a main character who's on the autism spectrum, and he's not actually going to talk a lot to human beings, and he's going to be really socially awkward, and he's a hero, and that was. Super fun, actually. Um, but I don't know, you know, if that was the intent. I never read the book. You read the book. Is there something I mean, that the, I don't know? The book isn't isn't a narrative. The book is just that 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 book that Newt hands someone about how to take care of his animals. Oh, that's what that book is. That is Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. That is the field guide, and that's oh, so it's all literally that was published. an encyclopedia. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that's disappointing. Um, <laughs> it's fine. I mean, I'm sure by this point there is a, a script that's been released. Oh, sure. But... But see, this is why... This is why I'm uninterested in canon, because I want somebody to tell me <laughs> about Newt's commander and his, like, life and what he does when he's not saving the world <laughs> in detail, practically. Preferably in some sort of domestic AU situation. <laughs> Make it so, the internet. I think that that was one of the better things that we saw this this season. Season. I mean, obviously Rogue One happened. Rogue One was great. I have a lot of feelings about it, but I'm going to wait until it comes out on video probably to scream about them. That's, that's probably for the best. Um, Moana is probably one of my favorite Disney movies of all time at this point. Moana was pretty great. That was... That was... I mean... Lin-Manuel Miranda is, has become the, 
<laughs> voice the of the generation. The high fructose corn syrup of movies. Like, he's in everything. <laughs> um, um, we were halfway through, and they're doing a song, and I was like, mother, f- what, is that you? Yep, yep, it's him. And it was great. Also, like, there were several people from the Hamilton cast, or not several, like, Two to three? Who were in this movie? <laughs> At least the singing voices, yeah. Yeah, that's true. I think there was a difference between singing voices. But, um... Chris ooh, Jackson. George Washington. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Eliza? Philippa Sue. Look at you knowing people's names and shit. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty great. Um, but I really enjoyed it. Apparently there's some, you know, disagreement on, like, levels of accuracy and what they should or shouldn't have done with, like, actual cultural representations but i mean if you have thoughts about that or have like direct experience with that please by all means let us know oh my gosh please send us an email or a tweet or something because we know nothing but having come in with zero knowledge of the culture right (laughs) we were both pretty impressed um also alan tudyk was a chicken alan tudyk Went to Julia. <laughs> I think these are two really important facts for us all to digest. Yep. Together. Yep. He was a very good chicken. Oscar worthy. <clears throat> uh, but yeah, I think movies. Movies were great. This I, th- I I had a better than you better than usual time at the movies this holiday season. Oh my god, Hidden Figures. I don't I don't have time to talk about Hidden Hidden Figures, but Hidden Figures though. Oh my god. Oh my god. Everybody should go see it. I think they... I'm going to say something else that might not be correct, but I want to say they like outpaced Rogue One's takings for their first weekend, which is amazing. Well, they outpaced Rogue One's takings for this weekend. Oh, right. that makes way more sense to me. Because <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it's Star Wars. It's right. rough. It's rough out there. Right. Um, but still, they're doing really well, which makes me really happy. Um, yeah, them and Moonlight and Fences. I'm surprised we didn't go see some brown people at the holidays movie when we went to my parents for Christmas, but I guess they didn't feel like it. They went to go see uh, Rogue One, brown people. Oh, yeah, this time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's um, right, that happened. But yeah, we'll talk more about that when it comes out on video. Until then... I guess DVD is released on Red on like, Redbox. Video. What is this? Nineteen ninety five. Um, but until then, let's go to the uh, to the interview. Yeah. Uh, today we're talking to Violet. Violet. Violet is a friend of Lauren's from college. College. Who came all the way up here from Iowa City? Iowa. Um, okay, I'm gonna stop. That's much. <laughs> and we'll take it from there. Do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, I suppose I could do that. It seems like a reasonable thing to do. <clears throat> uh, I am a formerly theater person, but uh, I mostly am involved in art-making things. Uh, I draw comics. I am involved with a local print shop in Iowa City uh, that does that is a, it's a community print shop. It's open to, to the public and has facilities for all kinds of fancy things. Um, and then vocationally, I also do uh, screen printing, which is exciting and also messy. I guess, so start off by telling us about your your webcomic, or your comic. 
Yes, it it, it, it is currently in a uh, interesting superposition between comic and webcomic because uh, I started this back in January. Uh, I decided that I was going to start drawing a webcomic and um, a few fitful months later had most of one finished, uh, but then finished a chapter in its entirety to publish for a uh, zine festival in Iowa City that happened in April. And it has sort of languished since then, but uh, plans are currently to revamp it in September. Uh, but it is a... I would describe it as sort of like urban fantasy-ish, um, taking place in a sort of a, a strange and not entirely unfamiliar Midwestern metropolis, uh, surrounded by corn secrets and higher <laughs> learning, um, and the exploits of a unemployed dryad and a uh, former succubus turned community college educated mechanic. <laughs> and it's called The Satanic Mechanic, it is. right? Which is a Rocky Horror Picture Show reference? It is, yes. Yeah. Um, I have not yet decided whether I will actually make any overt references to that in the comic itself. I may go to extraordinarily elaborate lengths to skirt around them. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's really cool. Uh, and. I was reading some uh, some interviews that you gave uh, about that comic. You it came from an idea that you did, ha- had writing like a short story, right? Yes. Um, there's a there's a really interesting mag- magazine um, that is published in Iowa City called Little Village, which is sort of a local arts and culture magazine, and they have a kind of a rotating short story uh, contest which is stories under a thousand words. And a few years ago I had one published, which was, um, I believe titled what happened to Violet Kubitschek and was about, um, this rather unfortunate girl who worked at a donut shop. And while she was at work one night, uh, the small sort of enclave town that she lived in, which was surrounded by this other town, uh, mysteriously rose 500 feet in the air on a column of pink granite for uh, unexplored reasons, and um, it uh, dealt with the ramifications of such an occurrence. (laughs) Getting down Um, from the garnet? Yes, yes, but it's sort of... um, I don't know, this sort of started a interesting kind of like parallel bizarro Iowa City that exists more or less in my mind, um, uh, where uh, it's, it's sort of a liminal space. There are some very strange... Uh, occurrences and the graffiti is much more interesting. You talk in the in the questionnaire I sent out about like creating imaginary worlds and the infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Is that sort of what drew you to this this world? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I like. I, I'm I'm always fascinated by you know to give an example. What do stormtroopers do when they're not stormtrooping? <laughs> Those kinds of questions of like you know do they take showers ever? How would they do that? <laughs> You know, what, what do they do in their... It's the sort of... The kind of like the mundane details, if you change some of the sort of variables in the extant world, what then, you know, changes... If, for example, you develop teleportation, then what, what do you do about that? Right. And, you know, what is... What does the corner grocery store look like in that situation? I don't know. Sort of the mundane details of fantastical universes. Right. I feel like those are the really interesting details. Those yes. are the details that tell you about how people live. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I... I mean, I... This is speaking monolithically, but I think science fiction generally concerns itself with sort of the uh, the grandiose cultural structures 
um, that exist in you know alternative worlds and universes. Um, but I wonder who delivers the mail, right? Who takes out the garbage, and what what do they do for fun, right? If, if anything, right? Perhaps they're androids whose sole purpose is to do one thing all the time, and um, do they get bored with that? Sure. I don't know. I also really am interested in world building and how that works. And like using your example of stormtroopers, I think I feel like part of what gives. <clears throat> Especially the original trilogy, and now again, I'm seeing it in this new trilogy that's that started. Um, what gives it that sort of re- real world lived in feeling is that we do get details about like mm-hmm. where does the trash go on the Death Star? Yeah. It goes into this pit. There's right. a thing that lives in the pit. Yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, it's. I I have to say the probably. I mean, episode seven. Yes, was. Most right. recent one uh, was was wonderful in many ways, but I have to say that one of my favorite scenes was uh, Ren in her wrecked spaceship house, just making a horrible looking dinner. <laughs> like that, that just that little detail was absolutely fascinating. Right, right, and it tells you so much about not just like how people on on this planet live, but mm-hmm. it also tells you a lot about Ren as a character and what yeah. she has to deal with. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm dealing with. You know, here's this interstellar war that the films have been about, but this also leaves junk all over the place. And, you know, what is it? Yeah. What does it mean to try and make a life in the middle of all that? Right. Absolutely. Um, that's really interesting. That's really fun. And I'm uh, and so that that's something I can assume that your your comic's going to deal with. Yes. Kind of the, the nitpicky details of grandiose things. Mm-hmm. Can you can you think of other like really good examples of like people who who do that in their work or pieces of work that you see that really kind of come to life? Or is that just something that you want? Well, it's, I mean, it's something that I want. I think I see a lot of like specific names are escaping me as they are want to do. Um, but I, I see a lot of art and illustration that is kind of built around those ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, okay. Here's a good one. Um, so I, I've been reading what I think is now a trilogy, but uh, books by Margaret Atwood, um, the Mad Adam trilogy, I think they mm-hmm. are called. I just finished A Year of the Flood. And that deals with that kind of minutia in a really, really fascinating way. Because it is a sort of like, you know, global system which is increasingly controlled by independent corporations which have superseded the power of government and can basically do whatever they want. But, you know, here's all these people who kind of like live on the edges of that and are inf- um, impacted by that. But they're not the ones really making the decisions. Mm-hmm. They're just the ones affected by it. You know, they're living out in the plea lands with everybody else who hasn't got a stake in anything, um, dealing with you know weird mutant animal infestations and street gangs and um, food that might be made out of iguanas or whatever. Just the one that starts. Um, is this the trilogy that starts with Oryx and Crake? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It starts with Oryx and Crake, which is more um, sort of like interior to the. Um, to the cores and the, the, the things that happen. Um, and then the year of the flood is more about the people who get caught up in it. They're, they're people in the, in the, the gods gardeners, which is kind of a religious sect slash cult, which is opposed to genetic engineering and the, um, corporatization of, of all things in life. Yeah. 
and and the, and, the, and so so things like that which deal with just sort of like personal stories in the midst of global crisis. Yeah, very interesting. And also, you learn how they manage to survive and what they have to eat. And right, you know. right. No, and, I, and yeah, no. I think that there's some there's there's some sci-fi, and I'm not going to say all, um, but there's some sci-fi that deals so much with big things that you lose, like like the Star Wars prequels. <laughs> Bless. Um, <laughs> Bless their hearts. Uh, they deal so much with like the trade federation yes. and like the politics of the of the senate that yeah. we don't get. We're not given any details about yeah. people. They're, they're a science fiction universe as presented by NPR and Marketplace. <laughs> um, which I don't know. Like in some ways, that's interesting. I do. I mean, I I do enjoy learning about that kind of lore and I think it's it's always fascinating the amount of thought that gets put into that but also it's not particularly compelling from a dramatic standpoint and like I was saying before before we started broadcasting I just started Steven Universe yes Steven Universe is great for being like we're going to deal with the minutiae of this kid's life mm-hmm. and the things that he finds really important yes which are not very important things no but he has so many big things going on yes. in the peripheries of his life. Yes. And that is something that, like, as the series goes on, the the scope of the universe in which it takes place just vastly expands. Mm-hmm. And in a really interesting and organic way, which is the nice thing. Like, it's not, you know, we, the world building is very seamless with the action. Um which is not always an easy thing to do, and I think it's one of the great strengths of the show. But yeah, it's like it, it starts as just sort of like a very whimsical show um, with a very you know narrow focus and expands to be a multi-millennia science fiction epic <laughs> um, with musicals. Right, right. Occasional, occasionally, people just break into song. Yeah, and it's it's fine. Yeah, there's a there's recently there's actually a, a fully musical episode, which was absolutely lovely. Awesome. And yeah, since we like kind of like touched on Steven Universe and Tumblr briefly, it's 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 an uh, that's that's kind of an interesting world to be in right now because I think in some ways Steven Universe is one of the first kind of like large you know this is a big thing that's on tv and there's a place in it like directly and overtly for the queer community like technically i mean technically like technically the all of the gems are uh genderless but they're mostly like feminine presenting right and so you know we have characters like ruby and sapphire who are just like a tiny adorable lesbian couple um glommed together and it's and it's great it's like it means that um suddenly queer people have like canon relationships to be interested in which is kind of a new thing in some respects right um and that's cool and like and a lot of the narratives that it deals with like have a lot of resonance um to people of diverse you know, sexual orientations and genders um, in a way that mm, other things don't. 
Absolutely. And 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 like because I don't know I I'm not sure if the, it it gained this reputation of its own or if it was bestowed upon it by some guy on Reddit. Yeah. Uh, but Tumblr is sort of like the social network for the like you know the queer and gender variant types, uh, which is good. I would like one. <laughs> thanks. Um, thanks for 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 giving us that. Um, so the sort of like the collision of fandom and like queer culture and this show, which suddenly like runs into both of them at astonishing speed and splits off in a million different directions. It's just fascinating to see the variety of the variety of experiences that people can have relating to it Mm -hmm. um, and relating to the characters and thinking about the characters and just feeling like they have so much more freedom to to really have a personal connection with the show because it's not something where like well i'm going to read this into it because i need that yeah it's i'm going to read this into it because it's there because it's there deliberately and it's there consciously um that's pretty cool yeah no it's awesome um i so i'm about 20 episodes in um, in that in that much time, we've seen two fusions, mm-hmm. and we've only met the three main gems and fusions of them, right? Yes. Um, four. Steven's a gem. Four. Yeah. Um, but like, even just for me, one just like yes, technically all of the gems are besides Steven are like genderless, non-binary, something mm-hmm. along those yeah, lines. Yeah, something along those lines. Which which let's let's. Talk about first that we've got three main characters right? who are like explicitly non-binary. Yeah, how <laughs> freaking great is that? That's awesome. Yeah, um, but e- e- all all fairly feminine presenting, mm-hmm. but they they present female in such astonishingly yes, different ways. So many different ways, and it's like it's just like the diversity of character and of body type. And of personality and expression is just is amazing, and it just keeps expanding, and it is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it's just it's it's it is life giving, verily, um, because that doesn't happen a lot in cartoons. It's true, not really. I like, mean, I don't know. It's like it's it's driven by. Strong female characters, not in the strong female characters trademark sense. Right. Um, but in, like, really nuanced, interesting characters who have real depths in their right. personalities. Right. Who are who are strong and female, but also, like, people. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I really like how we see them interact with each other as well. And, like, interact. Yes. And especially since, like... So I'm... I'm I'm early enough in the show that like fusions are new-ish mm-hmm. and very like I haven't quite worked out if this is like a metaphor for like relationships or a metaphor for like romantic relationships or or just how two people are when they hang out for mm-hmm. a long time. Um, but the the two that we've seen so far, although I have my theories about, so it's it's Pearl and. Gar- Garnet and what's the third one? Amethyst. Amethyst. I have my I have my I have my questions about 
Garnet's the tall one. Mm-hmm. She's got two gems. That doesn't seem that doesn't seem legit. But all will be revealed. <laughs> of course, I'm so sure. But like that the, would be so cute. Oh, oh, I'm I'm so sure. I mean, obviously, yeah. Um, we get her fusion with amethyst, mm-hmm. and we get pearl and amethyst's fusion. Mm-hmm. And in both of those cases, the fusions are like problematic somehow. Mm-hmm. Like, Pearl and Amethyst's fusion doesn't last because they can't freaking stand each other most right. of the time. Yeah. And then Garnet and Amethyst are just a giant asshole when they're together. <laughs> they, they, yeah, they, they kind of feed each other's worst instincts. Right. Yeah. But right. I, I, I think that it's really interesting that we're, we're being given all of these, like, like real world how people actually mm-hmm. interact. Yeah, well, I mean, like... Steven Universe kind of as a show and, like, fusion as a concept are very much built around relationships and how relationships between people work in all kinds of different contexts mm-hmm. and all kinds of different scenarios. And it is, like, as a show, it examines relationships in real depth and how they break and how they fall apart and how they can be improved and, you know, like, how one person's, you know, personal history and their sort of, like... You know, past things that they're not dealing with can affect other people. And it's like, it goes into this in real depth and is just like completely honest about just interpersonal relationships of all kinds. And that is really refreshing to see. Because um, most like adult TV is about relationships that are terrible. Right. Like people who are completely dishonest with each other all the time and like won't ever change because they can't. Right. Um, no, I was that gonna... being said, I put up with Mad Men for seven seasons and think it was a great show. But <laughs> but it is really good. Like, it's the kind of show that I really wish that I'd had when I was a kid because, like, this is all stuff that I have just sort of been, like, blindly fumbling around with and trying to figure out, you know, for 27-ish years now um, with varying degrees of success. But to just be able to sit back and like, oh, well, here's some characters dealing with this in this particular way. And that provides valuable insight. Um, and they sing about it. Right. Occasionally. Uh, like, that's that's super good. And I'm glad that kids are having an opportunity to see that because maybe they'll have a, a bit of a leg up when they have to deal with us. Right. Right. Absolutely. And I. Yes. I, you're not the first person I've heard say, like, I wish I had Steven Universe mm-hmm. as a kid. Um, yeah. Because of that, because it gives you so many different maps of how to be a person. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, Amethyst, the tiniest, angriest butch. Right. It was just so great. She's fantastic. <laughs> she's, yeah, she's the and, best. And, and occasionally wanders off and is a male-presenting wrestler. Yeah. Just because. Yeah. The Purple Puma is pretty amazing. Right. I have to say. Right. I love that episode. Um, and... Like, I don't know, because you you were talking about, like, strong female characters. Mm-hmm. And I'm remembering the, stru- the quote, quote, strong female characters that were, like, people I was aware of. Ha- like, the, these conversations about what mm-hmm. strong female characters yeah. were came up around. And I'm thinking about, like, if you remember Pirates of the Caribbean, Elizabeth Swan. Vaguely. Right. Yeah. Who was female mm-hmm. and held a sword. She did. She did. She did. And that was wore uh, <laughs> wore pants at least once, I think. Yeah, I think I think by like movie least, two or three. Yeah, yeah. There, there were some pants involved. Right. Um, but know. like, 
was still very much not what I was looking for in the strong female character and who also had that like bad relationship tango going mm-hmm. on around her. Yeah. And um like Firefly is one of the better examples of like different ways to be a person. Mm-hmm. Um but it's still got this main this is how you do romance yeah. idea that's that really messed up sit- sitcom romance mm. where like you two will like each other because you are supposed to like each other not because you have anything right you will fight tooth and nail against this union but by god it will happen <laughs> <laughs> buckle yeah. up it's going to be a painful couple of seasons for us yeah uh uh-huh. yep yep and it's and it's like you said it's really refreshing to see uh, a series that not only doesn't do that, but I think mm-hmm. like is actively pushing against it. Yes. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I, I have... Sh- like A lot of things kind of lose me on the romance angle because I have a pretty low tolerance for it. Like I'm pretty much aromantic myself. Sure. So I'm just like, well, I guess that's a thing you can do. <laughs> I'm going to go do something else. Call me if you need help moving a couch. Um... But yeah, but like, yes, so so having non-romantic relationships that are still interesting and nuanced and complex, it's like, okay, I can be invested in this because I, you know, have close relationships with people and like, like there are people that I love very dearly, but like, it's not a romantic kind of thing. Right. And that is a real thing that exists and maybe show that. And so, like, I mean, so that, like, that's that's something that I I want to put into my own work too. It's just like, you know, here's different ways that you can be like with another person. You can you can actually be friends. Yeah. And have it mean a lot and be very yeah. important. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. a real it can thing. Be, yeah. Yeah. Like you can have really, 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 really deep and meaningful relationships with people and not also want to kiss them, which, you know. I think Kiss I, all the people you want. I'm not here to judge. I'm not here to restrict anybody's actions. But it's, it's just—it's not my my primary motivation. You said you can have really deeper relationships with people without wanting to kiss them, and I think I just heard like most mainstream media like shriek in horror. And just, I, like, I did, I did, I did sense a little bit of recoiling, <laughs> as though as though salt had been cast upon it. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> yes, but uh, but yes, I, I will I will take my holy water of uh, of queer platonic my queer my queer platonic holy water <laughs> and cast it upon the demon that is the sitcom romance. <laughs> I might have to have you back after I've actually like watched all of the universe <laughs> and just be, and just be after like, you've had your heart broken eight thousand times. I've heard every yeah. so often my Tumblr just evolved because I'm the like. I've been here forever. Uh-huh. What would I do if I wasn't on Tumblr? Right. What does that world look like? Um, I could find out, but I don't want to. Right. At that part of my life. And so I've been following some of these people for like three or four fandoms. Mm-hmm. And every so often, these people who I've known for or known of been around. Mm-hmm. Tumblr's weird. Yeah. Um, Have this sort of like hazy, nebulous. Right thing with right my mutuals who uh just like break into sobbing screams yeah and the distance i'm just sort of like yo you okay over there buddy yo yo do you need do you need something it's fine 
It's fine. <laughs> Rebecca Sugar is just trying to kill all of us, apparently. <laughs> it's fine. You know, she's our age. I know, right? Right? I'm so Which is obsessed. why this, I, I mean, uh, yeah. Well, so, yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> like, on the one hand, I'm like, freaking 30-year-olds doing cool stuff. <laughs> but on the other hand, it's just like, okay, well, now we finally have an atmosphere in which, like, I can do my stuff and it might actually have some traction because it's going to fit in a lot better with this big stuff going on. Right, absolutely. Um, so that's good. Thank you, Rebecca Sugar, for paving the way for the rest of yes. us poor creative souls. Mm-hmm. In so so when you're talking about your fandom geek related mm-hmm. interests, you're talking about cartoon lesbians and heavy <laughs> heavy machinery. Yes, and then you specify Steven Universe yes. at all. Are those the are, the, are those, the those are some examples thereof? Right, right, right. Um, I so when I I've been on Tumblr for an ungodly length of time, like right, five years now, whatever. Um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm to the, I'm, I'm to the sort of like nihilistic, but yet dependent phase of being on Tumblr. Yeah. And it's like, I have a thousand yard stare, but that thousand yard stare is constantly directed at my dashboard. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know where he's going with that. Anyway, so when, like in the, how I kind of got sucked into Tumblr fandom universe, um, was through Adventure Time. Um, another fantastic show, um, but the, uh, the the pairing of, of of Marceline, the Vampire Queen, and Princess Bubblegum, which is adorable, right? And um, which they have flirted with in canon. Um, so that was sort of like the beginning of the the world of cartoon lesbians, which Steven Universe expands greatly in many many ways, uh, and it's wonderful. I have not I have not watched Avatar, but I know that's another uh, great source of. Cartoon lesbians, yes. yes. The more, the more, the Korra series, especially. Yes. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah. I, so I, I don't know. It's just like cute things. <laughs> cute things. Yes. Not so much uh, something I go out in search of as a pattern that I have noticed emerging, or is well, it something that you go out in search of? It well, so it emerged as a pattern, somewhat unconsciously, which I now cannot help but uh but um but follow right so as all pattern i feel like that's true of most patterns well quite yes um um and then heavy machinery has just kind of like been an obsession since since early childhood you're listening to marginally geek produced in partnership with fake geek girl productions you can find us on facebook twitter tumblr and itunes Please don't forget to rate and review us. It helps other people find our show. It makes us look cool. We're all under Marginally Geek in all of those places. And uh, if you have any questions, comments, things you want to suggest, ideas you have for the show, we're always in flux. You can email us at marginallygeek at gmail.com. I don't know. It's just, it's very interesting. It kind of goes into sort of like the interest in infrastructure. I do remember at a really early age being taken to um, a in a town near the town where I grew up um, in rural Missouri. There's a uh, annual uh, steam and gas engine show, which is all these like really old steam traction engines and old tractors and um, gas engines, things like that. And I remember going there with my dad when I was really young and just being completely terrified of how big and loud and noisy everything was, but also really fascinated by how it all worked. 
And I don't know, that has just kind of like continued for a very long time. It mostly manifests itself in interest in, in steam powered things, mm-hmm. um, trains especially, but also just all sorts of like odd, cause like, you know, not quite to the extent that the sort of like steampunk imagining of things goes, but to a very large extent, 400 years, the world is entirely powered by steam. Right. And so all manner of machinery of all manner of scales emerges out of that. Um, from like, you know, well, tiny little engines that drive popcorn machines um, to uh, pumping engines for like municipal water systems. There's one in Cleveland that I don't know was like the engine itself was about 47 feet tall or something like that. Just like on just a staggering mind boggling scale. So that and the mechanics of that and the infrastructure around that and sort of like what, how that ended up changing society is just a really deep field that I find really interesting. Because, I mean, you know, the Industrial Revolution was pretty pretty profound by most accounts. Pretty big deal. Most people, Yeah, most people think, yeah, yeah, no, that was a thing. <laughs> we, should, we should talk about that in depth. So, uh, Steam Engines, your first fandom? I guess so, yeah. Um, I don't think I was particularly aware of the concept of fandom at the time. Sure. Um, but I don't, I don't know, like... I don't know. I, I think um, rail fans and like steam enthusiasts, there's sort of a there's like that, and then the people who are writing Star Trek zines, and like that is sort of like the birth of fandom as we know it. I think maybe this is my this is my theory that I'm expounding at this moment. <laughs> um, but yeah, just like it's it's it seems to be at least the first well-documented group of people who, like, because of an, a, a shared interest in something that didn't necessarily have, like, economic or social value at that time, you know, put extraordinary effort into uh, preserving or recreating a particular thing. So, like, the... And it's particular. It seems to be much stronger in the UK and in England than in the United States, um, partly because, you know, that's... The UK is more the the birthplace of the Industrial Revolution and just had a lot more stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's it seems to be the first instance of people going out of their way to learn how to do things that have no particular relevance just because they think they're worth preserving. And I think that's kind of a core element of fandom is that like, yeah, this is, you know, it's just a show, it's just a book, it's just a whatever... But it means something. It's important. It's personally significant. And you would you would feel you feel that the world would be lesser without it. And right. so you put yourself into it and you expand in, on it in your own way. I think like steam and railway preservationists kind of exemplified that spirit in the early years. Um, I don't really know how things are now. I'm not like particularly involved with any groups. Um, in a direct way. There is a large group in Mount Pleasant, Iowa, which is pretty close to where I live, um, that has a very large annual um, show. But I've been more involved with them through their um, uh, collection of printing presses and equipment of that kind, which is another interest because it is large, heavy machinery. (laughs) Except this time, it makes books, and books are good. So is it... Because I've not, I had not actually realized that the, the Steam fandom was mm-hmm. this was this big and and like this big of a deal. Is it 
finding and refurbishing old engines? Is it building new ones? It's finding and refurbishing old engines and maintaining the collections of engines that exist. Um, and then most of the new things that are built are in sort of a a kind of a spin-off which is which is referred to kind of like collectively as model engineering which is basically like building miniature versions of of many things like there there are people who build uh, miniature steam locomotives or like small i don't know like tractor trailers and things like that earth moving equipment um right building miniature versions of things which is you know of course a, a great human obsession um and that's kind of the the area where new stuff happens because the odd thing about the steam fandom is that it it's very much a realm of traditionalists partly out of necessity because all of this you know all of this equipment is at least 50 and 60 years old um and requires maintenance in you know requires maintenance techniques that have sort of been lost history but also in that sort of like in maintaining equipment in the state that existed in say like the 1930s or 40s then you also have to think of maintaining the the environment as a whole in that sort of micro sort of like chronological microcosm which can i don't know if it does but i think that it can lead to somewhat retrograde thought patterns i don't know i don't really know where i'm going with that but um I don't know. It's 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 a to all outward appearances, it is a group dominated by middle aged and older white men who have decent incomes. Right. Um, and that kind of gives it a political climate of a particular sort, depending on what sort of group you're involved with. Um, I was well, like when I was in high school, I was in a, a garden railroading club, um, and this is like building bottle trains, but like. In your yard. Because that's fun. Um, that sounds great. It, it, it was. Um, but it was, I don't know, like, it was It was not a group that talked about politics. But uh, when they did, they skewed very conservative. And right. was, you know, of that demographic, as I mentioned. And I don't think I was, like, obviously, I was not aware of this at the time, being um, but a young person who lived in a tiny little town and didn't know anything about anything. That's going to happen. But looking back on it, it's like, this is kind of a homogenous group. I've definitely got, one, that same background of, like, tiny small town. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, didn't know any better. Sorry. Um, Whoops. And uh, also, the like, there are, there are some real-world fandoms, I guess, that I'd love to get to be a part of, mm-hmm. but realize are, like, dominated by... Middle-aged white men of a certain income. Yes, which is a bit intimidating. Right. Coming into that from anywhere else. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I hear you. Hilariously, uh, so the first con I ever went to, by accident, Mm -hmm. um, was a model railroad con that was happening in St. Louis. Oh, uh, yeah. And I, I honestly that. did not realize what it was until mm-hmm. I walked in and I was, because somebody was taking me and I, and I walked in and I was like, this is a convention. Mm-hmm. There are lots of very small locomotives around the place yep. and it's a convention and I'm very confused. Yep. <laughs> but it's really cool to see that that, I mean, like, 
I think you're I think you're onto something about like that basis in like Star Trek fandom and that sort of model for interacting around the thing you care about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um cuz Star Trek always gets credit for being like the first convention. First yeah. Well, it's yeah, and like and and certainly I think there's the, I it's this isn't something that I've delved into particularly deeply, but um, I follow several of the tumblers that are run by the special collections librarians at the University of Iowa. Sure. Which are really fascinating. And one of the big things they have is they have this huge collection of zines dating back to like the 30s and 40s. Like started like because it started sort of like in science fiction because like that was sort of like the heyday of like pulp science fiction magazines. And so there would be people, you know, writing and printing their own. Uh, versions and distributing them in limited ways and like having sort of like mailing lists across the country and it's like it's really this this super fascinating thing and they have a pretty extensive collection but um so that kind of so that's kind of like there when star trek happens and this is sort of like the maybe like the first like big mainstream science fiction thing that you know everybody might be able to see and so it just sort of blossoms from there but like Watching that, like seeing, getting, getting a glimpse into that kind of history and that kind of progression is really interesting. Yeah, I didn't realize that scenes went back all the way to like the thirties and forties. Yeah, that's that's it's crazy. Awesome. Well, it's crazy that any of them still exist, right? Because they were printed on like Jello or whatever. Because <laughs> um, you can do that; it's really cool. Right, paper that just like falls apart. Mm-hmm. That's so nuts. Yeah. What do you even? I mean, I, I assume you'd print with a printing press back then. Well, I think they had, like, mimeograph machines and duplicators sure. and stuff. Like, you know, it's stuff that would be, like, office equipment or stuff you could get from a school or something. Sure. Um, but, yeah, it's just, like, here's... But, you know, there again, it's, you know, it's, like, this group of people who are interested in the thing and they want to talk to each other about the thing and they find out how to do it over vast distances. That's so nuts. That's so great. And, I mean, I feel I feel like it's really cool that... Talking about that and like printmaking today, mm-hmm. as as like, because I've got a lot of friends who are printmakers. Mm-hmm. Like, usually in the arts, um, or tying in with the arts, yeah. but not, not not always necessarily. And I feel like it's sort of the same sort of like interacting with the printed word in a way that's mm-hmm. like very immediate, almost because even if you're not seeing this person, it's something mm-hmm. that you made and it's going to them. Yes. Yeah. It's one of those. It's one of those things that I'm like really really impressed by but Mm -hmm. have no practical knowledge of well right yeah thank you so much for coming and talking about things this was fun i enjoy talking about things yeah interesting parties yeah absolutely oh uh so people who are listening to this in the magical future or is it the present or is it the past or is it all three at once (laughs) um by the time you hear this uh the satanic mechanic will be like actually up and going on the internets um at the satanic mechanic.com so you can go read that and see the maybe possibly quantum references to Rocky Horror yes. as well as lots of world building. Mm-hmm. That yeah. sounds like fun. Yes. Thanks so much for coming. Well, thank you for having me. Okay, so since I talked to Violet, her comic has gone live on the internets. Yay! Us. Uh, a story of queer love, machine intelligence, and the number of cars you can eat before somebody notices. The first two installments of The Satanic Mechanic are available at thesatanicmechanic.com. The third will be premiering online and in print April 8th at Ice Cream in Iowa City. You can find more information about that at icecreamcomicsfest.com. And she's also started a Patreon at patreon.com backslash 
Violet Austerlitz. That's V-I-O-L-E-T-A-U-S-T-E-R-L-I-T-Z. Um, so please take a look at that as well. Again, that's Patreon backslash Violet Austerlitz. Yeah, give her money for her shit. It's really cool. We got a extremely sweet um, Christmas card that was letterpressed, and it's very art. It's really cool. It's very it's cool. It's very cool. We have gotten to the point in our life where artists send us things for holidays. It's so exciting. And I just really feel like we've arrived. Um, but yeah. And then Lauren's new section. Tell me about what we're going to be doing in here. Oh my gosh. What a great question. Um, <laughs> so we're going to be experimenting with a new segment that I'm calling Fanworks Appreciation Corner. Um, basically to talk about... Um, the cool shit you guys are making and the cool shit your friends are making and the cool shit I'm stalking people on AO3 late at night when I should be sleeping where, uh, it's, um, I don't know, interesting ways people are diverging from the canon. So we know that like most of the stuff that is like mainstream geekery, however you want to define that, is like made and starred in by white men most of the time. And I'm really interested, like obsessively interested, actually, in the things that people make because death of the author. Death of the author is basically my byline for life and reading and everything I do always because I'm interested in what, I don't know, our folks at the margins of the party are doing to take the things we like, Sherlock, the Avengers, Welcome to Night Vale, and sort of play with it and see it through a different lens and take the story into new and interesting places. So some of the things I'll be talking about in this segment, which will be shorter than the explanation thereof, most likely. Um, I'm hoping to talk to people who cosplay. We have a couple of cosplay friends. And if you're listening, I'm probably sending you an email right now. Um, or people who write cool fix, make other things, basically fan works you make that are inserting yourself or other people that we don't usually get to see into the story. I'm obsessing over this fic I found with the tag Autistic Tony Stark on AO3, where it's talking about the Avengers and like working as a team. And Tony Stark is always on his phone because it's how he communicates with people because he's nonverbal and like what that means for a characterization and like how things work and how people interact with him. And it's really interesting because you don't see a whole lot of artistic characters portrayed as like real people. Um, at least not, you know, in the stuff I've read. Um, another awesome thing that I'm just going to plug to you right now, because you should all go out and see it, um, is a fic on AO3 by Breathed Out. Um, it's called How the Mouth Changes Its Shape. And, uh, I don't want to spoil anything for you, but it's about Sherlock. And you should just, you should just read it now. Uh, so what I would love, love, love to you, get from you guys, dear listeners, is suggestions. So again, as you know, Facebook us, email us, send us a Tumblr message. We're marginally geek everywhere. And if you have a friend who's cosplaying or writing fic or doing something 
that is changing the way we look at the geek stuff you already know about. Tell me about it. I want to talk about them. I want to talk to them. It's going to be great. We're going to figure it out as we go along, but it's going to be great. And uh, yeah, tune in next time for that thing. It'll be at the end of the episode, probably between the interview and the credits. And uh, with me, talking real fast into your earbuds. Thank you so much for listening to Marginally Geek. You can find us on Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes by that name. And you can also email us at marginallygeek at gmail.com. Our artistic producer and host is Lucas Babb. Executive producer is me, Lauren Yarbrough. Our theme song is by Ronan Cohn. Z can be found at patreon.com forward slash mass hysteria music, as well as facebook.com forward slash now Z here. Our logo was created by Mike Miller. You can find his work at michaelmiller.co. Marginally Geek is produced by Fake Geek Girl Productions. See you next time. Presented by Fake Geek Girl Productions, gracing the internet with gynocentric geek comedy since 2015. For more hilarity, find us on social media at FGGPeeps and visit FGGPeeps.com.